like to touch on next really is when it comes to you've you've got the process going you know so we're in a deficit everything's going well from a training front we're retaining strength we've got our programming sorted when it comes to adjustments to a contest prep diet um first of all if you could touch on what data you're collecting when it comes to clientele um so when they're asked to you know potentially check in with you um what data are they giving to you and why well, this is uh, this is funny that you asked this question uh, because I've never been asked this question, at least publicly. My clients have asked me this question. Um, so, all right, I'm going to sound a little crazy here, but okay. So, I um, I, I consider myself a coach that takes a scientific approach. Okay. Uh, you know, sure. I, I I take a I, I I like to have um, information for my clients. Sure. But and so I. One a large part of my client base uh, are people that also coach their coaches themselves. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes sometimes they'll um, have me prep them so they can learn something you know new. Yeah. And uh, one of the one of the things that I usually hear from my clients is, "Geez, you really don't have me sending you much. Like I don't use a spreadsheet." That's a big thing. Okay. Like a lot of wow. a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches use a spreadsheet. They want to know, you know, body weight. They want to know, um, you know, if you hit your macros for that day. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, daily body weights, yeah. sleep, stress. You know, all kinds of things. Uh-huh. Um, when I when I have my clients check in, I say, send me your weight, send me your pictures, and tell me pertinent information. Pertinent information from this past week. <laughs> and it seems. <laughs> It seems so broad. I realize this, um, but there's a there's a reason for that. In that, um, I learn. Okay, if I have them fill out a spreadsheet, there is not much need for me to talk to them. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I have all the information at hand, um, and there's not much need for them to talk to me. Uh, I want them to talk to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because. What they view as pertinent. Um, now, this doesn't mean I won't ask questions along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know how their sleep is. I want to know how their hunger is, and I'll ask this as we go. Yeah. But I don't want I don't want it in a spreadsheet because I want to force them to talk to me, because I learn a lot about the individual by what they view as pertinent. Yeah. If somebody is, if somebody is always talking to me about their sleep, if they they bring up their sleep every other week or every week. Um, then I know sleep is important to that person. Um, if somebody's always talking to me about their digestion or how you know if, if they, whether or not they're going to the bathroom regularly, that's important to that person. That's what they struggle with. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I learn so much by forcing them to talk to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and because um, because uh, while I do take a scientific approach to my process, and I like to have a quantifiable uh, a, a process that is quantifiable and repeatable um, there is this is still we are prepping human beings yeah. uh, there's a there's a human element and so um, what they tell me gives me a glimpse into what is important to them what stresses them out what you know is good and then also um, if they're not bringing it up uh, you know I may ask casually here or there but I don't um, I don't want them stressing over things that aren't a problem. 
So if I ask them to log their sleep every night, that might make them, if they're not naturally somebody that struggles with sleep, that might make them a little bit paranoid about whether or not they're getting enough sleep. Uh, so, so if there's somebody that can naturally pull in, you know, seven or eight hours a night and not worry about it, I don't want them worrying about monitoring it because uh, I'll just leave well enough alone. If it's not broke, I'm not going to fix it. And so, uh, so you know, I, I get some coaches and they're like, you know, why isn't there a spreadsheet with all this data? And I'm like, because I want you to talk to me. You know, yeah. tell me some things. Tell me about yourself. Tell me how your week went. Um, and so that's that's my main reason is, uh, you know, I I, I learn. A, more than most people could ever imagine and this is where this is where i think some of the um you know because there is also i think an art to coaching yeah, and i think sure. this is where you have you this is where it comes in you know can you read people and find out what they what they need to hear um and part of that is learning that person and and i'm gonna say that it forces okay beyond that i, I learn about them but um it develops a relationship uh, you know, I don't, um, like you said, you, you learn to care for your clients, uh, as you get to know them as people. And, um, I find I can do a better job for my clients when I do learn about them as a person and develop a, you know, it, it's, uh, develop a certain friendship and relationship over time. Sure. And, and so even I'm going to look at something in the aspect of people cheat on their contest preps, you know, they, they mess up on their diet. And so as they get to know me, they feel comfortable telling me that they messed up. You know what I mean? I, I'm, not, I'm not some distant coach um, that they hardly know. I'm somebody that they've gotten to know over the last 10 weeks. And if they mess up on their diet, they know they can come to me and tell me, and I'm not going to be upset with them. I'm going to help them fix the situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we develop a friendship and a relationship, and then we feel comfortable telling each other anything and we set the best plan going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah, it's definitely another thing that you potentially do that's unorthodox in the in the <laughs> realm of um, online coaching, I guess. You know, there's a lot of people that are very fancy with spreadsheets and data collection, <laughs> et cetera, and, you know, um, but I think it, it, it definitely has rationale behind it, and obviously, your results speak for themselves in terms of you know the clients that you're putting on stage. I think again, you know, like we said with the the activity trackers, it's like when you're measuring so much data, it's like a lot of it can potentially end up just stressing you out. Um, you know, especially if you are just logging like stress levels. <laughs> like, tell me your yeah. stress levels. Like, you, you if you're stressed, you're going to be even more stressed. That your stress levels are high. And that promoted a higher weigh-in on the sheet, you know. So I think the way that you're handling it is probably a a good approach in terms of for for the majority reducing stress over the long term. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that that's an, I'm really big on trying to reduce my clients' stress. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think when the clients have all this data in front of them, they start looking they start looking for patterns and they start really worrying about every little detail yeah. and. Uh, you know, I, while I want my, I want the people I work with to be actively engaged, but I don't want them stressing out about what they're doing. No. And I, I always tell people, you know, you, you, they hire me to stress for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm here to stress, stress out over these little things for them. And so I always tell them, you know, I, I could even, uh, I want them giving me feedback on how it's going. But I always tell people, uh, I always tell people, 
they could get on the scale each week and have their friend read the number for them and email it to me and they could never see that number but as long as they give me the feedback on how they're feeling and how they're performing and all that they could go the entire contest prep and never look at that number on the scale and I'll make sure I have them where they need to be they just need to make sure they give me the good you know the proper feedback about how everything's going yeah no that's yeah that's really interesting I think I think a lot of the time people do stress about the weight and how much is dropping and can comparing that straight away to how they look in the mirror like oh my god <laughs> I lost this amount I'm it must be all muscle tissue um and yeah yeah so I, de- I definitely think that's a that's a wonderful way to put things for your clients and and just getting what you need which is yeah essentially just the feedback on how they're feeling and an individualized feedback as well because they're they're allowed to talk for themselves and they're allowed to tell you as much or as little as they need to um what i think actually one question i have personally on that front is is do you find that you get more data and more feedback from females than you do male do you get like essays from females and maybe shorter text from from males yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and not always but typically typically i'm having to pull more information out of the guys yeah uh and and then pick out what information is pertinent from the girls um and, and and they both have negative aspects because um with the guys it's almost like admitting that they've had a rough week is a defeat you know yeah, yeah, um sure. uh you know it's 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 okay to tell me i had a rough week this week you know what i mean mm. um so you know that that is a difficult part and then with with women i find um they <clears throat> they get caught up in uh, every everything they've experienced is as a positive or a negative rather than it just is what it is you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know uh, with you know with women for example I know a big uh, a big aspect is usually how um, how their digestive system is feeling yeah you know if if they're not regular or if you know maybe they're having their period that week, they're, yes. they're they feel they feel bloated and they they think that it's good or bad. And while we want to be regular as possible, but you know you're gonna feel some discomfort and bloating during your period week. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. You can still make progress. So you know um, it's important to you know get feedback on these things, but realize that not everything is really good or really bad. It just sort of is. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. That's the important thing is that it is and that you know it is rather than sort of, you know, just saying, oh, my God, I've had a bad week. You know, it's good that you know the whole data behind it um, and therefore are able to pick it apart and make the best decisions. Um, so when it comes to, to making decisions, um, how do you normally go about making calorie cuts? And obviously, I think most of the listeners will know that when you do make calorie cuts they can be more aggressive at the start and they get as you go on they will get smaller and smaller in the in terms of the reductions that you will make um i think we touched on this earlier but do you have sort of a preference as to where you'll make cuts from um and also in in tune with that how long would you give it for for a calorie cut to have its effect and why uh, well, you know, I, I used to, this is something I've changed over the 
you know, past four or five years with my coaching, I used to really ease into contest prep, which I don't think is necessarily a bad approach. Yeah. But um, I, I've gotten in the habit now where I'll sort of, I, and I will ease into it, but now I use the middle point of contest prep. So we have our beginning prep where I'll ease into it. Okay. But then I, I, I push more aggressively in the middle okay. of contest prep right now um, because I like to get ahead of pace. Um, pace is such a big, a big aspect to me. I think one of the reasons people fail to be ready is because they allow themselves to fall behind the pace they need to keep to be in shape. Sure. So I'll, I'll ease into it to where so slowly to where the line between gaining and losing is just very subtle. You know, I'm only, I'm only lightly picking away from it. But then in the middle part, I'll push aggressively okay. so that later on I can coast. Um, the end point of a contest prep is when muscle loss, lean tissue loss is most likely to occur. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, the more drastic your changes, the more drastic the measures you take, the more drastic the body will fight back. Yeah. So the more we can coast and see more, um, see organic fat loss rather than forced fat loss, the better at that backstage. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll start with a light cut, more aggressive, and then it allows me to sort of coast into it. Now, initial, initial cuts will really just sort of depend on how long we have to prep with this person sure. as well as how much food they're taking in. If I have somebody that's taking in 500 grams of carbohydrates per day, I don't have a problem starting off with cutting 50 to 60 grams of carbs immediately. Yeah, but if I, have some, if I have somebody taking in 200 grams of carbs per day, well, I don't want to cut 50 or 60. Yeah. I may start with something more along the lines of 20 or 30. So um, it's going to be based solely, uh, uh, well, largely on their current food intake. Mm. And then, um, and then the last bit, I, I feel like I always take it back to the mental aspect, but it is just such a big part of it. Um, how, how prepared are they for mentally for this cut? Um, if they're really excited to get things going and they just feel good, I may make a, a more aggressive cut. Mm -hmm. If, you know, for some reason they're a little hesitant about getting things rolling, I ease them into it. Yeah. Um, and, and it kind of goes that way along the entire prep. I mean, there comes a certain point where I'm going to do what needs to be done regardless of how they feel about it because it just it needs to happen. Sure. But, but when possible, I try to make the larger cuts when I can tell they're most mentally prepared for those larger cuts. Yeah, no, that makes sense, absolutely. I think, and, and obviously the feedback that you're getting in the weekly check-ins will, will definitely assist you in that ability to know when it's the right time to make that cut. Um, and the consistency of the data that you're collecting in terms of allowing them to speak for themselves will definitely help in that regard. Um, and I think, yeah, people need to know that, you know, if, if, if things aren't, if things aren't going right, you're very, very stressed trainings had, a, you've had a really bad week of training, you know, adding extra stress by increasing the deficit and taking away lots of food in one week is probably not the best option to, to really set yourself up for, for a better week um so i think that yeah that, that, that that's something that i would certainly agree with when it comes to being aware of the mental and obviously physical standpoint of of, of making cuts um but when it comes to like if if you see someone that, that really is 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 pushing the limit to get ready um and 
that it's not the right time to be making a cut would you still make the cut and just push them for for for, for that short period of time or would you potentially reschedule the show um, and why if it's if it's a mental thing holding them back from wanting to make a big cut i will make the big cut but i try to get them on board with what i'm doing yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. you know uh because uh you know, I think we've all been there. I mean, even when I'm in my prep where you just think, uh, okay, the scenario is you've had a really tough week. You know, you've you've struggled with your energy. Training hasn't been that great. And then you get on the scale, and at the end of the week, you didn't lose. Like, you're just like, you're just like oh, I thought I wasn't going to have to cut this week. But then you, you've got to do it. Um, so, you know, I try to, I try to just – make people realize that at a certain point in contest prep, um, you have to do what needs to be done in order to get in shape, yeah. uh, in true condition. And, and here's the thing is, uh, one of the, the difference that separates those that succeed from those that fail are, uh, the people that succeed are the ones that can, do the things that need to be done even when they don't feel like it. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that's a hard realization because, uh, you know, it's easy to make big changes when you feel like it, mm-hmm. but it's hard to make big changes when you don't feel like it. And so, you know, that's, I, I always just try to make sure I drill that into my client's head that, you know, even though you don't want to do this and I don't want to do this to you, um, we've got to do this and this is, but this is what it takes. And those are the, those are the moments uh, you know, it's those moments, those brutally hard moments where you, you don't want to do something, but you make yourself do it anyway. Those are the defining moments of your prep. Those are the moments when, when those are the moments when you set yourself ahead of your competitor, because more than likely your competitor will not do that. that cut, yeah. 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 That, that, that really, that really makes sense. I think if, 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 if when people hear that, they'll be more inclined to think, right, you know, I've got to, I've got to like, like I think I've heard 3DMJ or someone else say it's like embracing the suck when it gets really hard. Um, I think that that's a that's a really good way to think about things when when you do have to make a horrible cut. Um, it's like it's just it's part of the process. You know, it's not yeah. like you're not you're not gonna have week to week linear progression, linear weight loss, and just be like cruising all the time. You'll have a week where things just don't move, pictures don't look any better. And everything, like you think everything sucks um but it's important to grind through those weeks because you will have better ones um you know you will come out of it the other end um yeah and, oh well sorry, and i was go just ahead. gonna say well no i was just gonna say that you know even for myself as a competitor and i won't even say it as a, not just as a competitor but you know personally for me in my own career and everything that's one thing I, I, I think is really important because it is always important to be focused internally on your own process yeah. uh, and not, not really focus on what other people are doing. But, uh, but I think there's benefit in those times where, you know, on those days you may not feel like it, you know, cause you have those days when you're tired and contest prep and bringing that intensity to the gym mm-hmm. is difficult or that day where you're just starving and, and it's hard to stick to your diet. It, those where you need to remind yourself that the hard times are what define you and and allow you to get that leg up on your opponents because those days those hard days um it's very likely that your opponent will not 
stick to the plan because because most people don't most people crack in those moments they 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 you know they light up in the gym or they you know they have a little extra food here in those moments they're really hungry and those are the moments where uh winners and champions are created because they separate themselves from this guy over here on those really hard days i think it's important to always keep that fresh in your mind this is the day you know the day where you don't want to do it this is the day where you you get that get that edge yeah 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 and the satisfaction of stepping on stage when you know that you've gotten through those days and you've done everything you know you've ticked all the boxes and it's probably way more than if you stepped on stage thinking Shit, i really wish i hadn't gone over macros on those three four days and that you know you, you don't want any regret you know when you obviously people make mistakes but you want minimal regret when you're you know you step on that stage and you hit that front first relax you know it's like you, you don't you don't you don't want to regret anything um cool so when it comes to i guess the latter um phases of contest prep and more more strategies come into play as to how we are going to be losing more body fat um there's two tra- strategies that really sort of come across in my head as as ways to you know potentially prolong an extended fat loss phase and th- those are obviously refeeds um and diet breaks um so if you could roll over basically um how or um if you use any of these protocols in in your clients coaching or yourself um and and why also as well uh yeah you know i i I generally will start with just a once per week refeed okay um the structure of it whether it's higher carb higher protein higher fat will sort of depend on the person okay um but uh you know that's where i kind of start and then as we go along, will that be straight I, from the start, Cliff? Like literally straight from the start, or is it? How, yeah. how long would it take? Straight from the start. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always include some sort of refeed. I even in the off season. Uh, I think it's, yeah. I, I think it's natural human nature to have periods of overfeeding. Um, you know, I, I mean, when you think about how even humans evolved, um, we didn't have very even scheduled, you know, eating throughout the day uh you know even in like humans with the hunter gatherer phases there were times of more food and times of less food and i I think everybody would agree there's something mentally and physically relaxing about uh having a bigger meal (laughs) so or a bigger day of eating so i always put that in um but then as food gets lower and i start to see certain tendencies i will adjust from there I'll, if possible, and I, if possible, if I can just continue with once per week refeeds, um, I will, I'll ride that all the way into show day. Okay. Um, but for some people, if their food needs to get really low, um, I may go one of two routes. Uh, I may actually uh, do a carb cycling where I have maybe a higher day, some moderate days, and some lower days. Yeah, maybe you Okay. And then uh, I find that tends to be mentally easier for some people to handle. Yep. It's it's easier to think, okay, I'm going to go really low on these calories for two days, and then I get some relief, yeah. rather than rather than I have six days of low calories. Oh, this course, is gonna, yeah. yeah, this is going to be brutal. Um, but for people that are really mentally tough, I may have a bigger refeed, and I may do this on a on a keto 
ketogenic approach if I use it towards the end. I'm not a big fan of keto, but I'll use it at the end if, if really needed, um, where I may have a refeed once every 10 to 14 days okay. and, and just kind of ride that all the way through if, if I think somebody's mentally able to handle it. Um, so I, I will structure that. I, I'm not a huge fan of really pushing the refeeds closer together because at that point, then you have because then you have to have smaller refeeds, and I think it becomes less satisfying for the person. Yeah. Uh, but but it's not to say I never do it. I've done it in cases where some people struggle with um, – some people, when they have a bigger refeed day, it's like when they start, they can't stop eating. Yes, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And so if somebody struggles with that and they tell me about it, then in that case we may do two refeeds throughout the week. So they're smaller in size and they don't have that intense, you know, uh, hunger when they start eating. Yeah. Are these refeeds primarily from a psychological point of view as opposed to a physiological? So um, are you implementing refeeds primarily to, um, I guess, it'd be a positive psychological influence as opposed to the, the idea of, regulation of hormones etc because i think you know recently the idea of a single day refeed has sort of been shunned as to whether it actually promotes any sort of physiological positive response yeah um well there's obviously a, a psychological benefit towards yeah, to it yeah, yeah. um now as far as whether or not there's a physiological i you're absolutely right. More recent research has shown that there may not actually be a physiological benefit to it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I would say, even though I'm familiar with the research, uh, sometimes what I see happening in real life doesn't necessarily show that. Like I see some people, even if they stick to it, uh, and I can't explain the mechanistic action of it <laughs> because, like I said, the research is, says what the research says. But I see some people where they just lose more efficiently from week to week with that refeed in there, yeah, even yeah. given calories, uh, calorie, uh, if calories are equated across the seven-day span. Um, so I, I guess one of the things could be possibly that the psychological starts to um, affect the physiological in that, you know, like you and I have said, people that are more relaxed – tend to lose fat a little bit more easily than people yeah. that are stressed out. Yeah, yeah. So it, it could possibly, my, my thought is that it could possibly be somebody that is getting refeeds is psychologically less stressed than somebody that's not getting refeeds. Yeah. And therefore the psychological, psychological starts to dictate the physiological. Uh -huh. And yeah. that's just sort of, that's just sort of a thought in my head. But, um, you know, I see the, I see the difference in real life. Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's 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 two things there as well. Like when it, when it comes to refeeds, I think you know for, for a low stress individual, they can work really well because obviously it's that it's that more food, bigger meals. They they make them feel happy. It reduces cortisol a, li a little bit. But for some people, like I found, like implementing a refeed can actually be quite stressful for some. They might actually find it as a little bit of a uh, like. Um, a, ste a step backwards because they're like but I'm eating more food so surely I'm overfeeding and I'm overeating surely that's going to stunt progress and they stress out so much about it that the refeed doesn't never have the effect that you want it to have so how do you deal with clients that are very high stress towards refeeds uh, yeah that's another that's a great point actually mm -hmm. um, and, and you'll, you'll usually see that in people that 
Well, I, I guess in, in my part, I don't like to take away the refeeds even when they have a low or a, a high stress attitude sort of them because I do think that, you know, getting that glycogen, those glycogen levels restocked will help. And even if it's a short term, you know, increase, I, I like to, to have that in there. Plus, I also don't want to cut the refeeds because I feel like that starts to force negative thoughts about food in general. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea that this one day of eating will just destroy my progress. That's obviously not true. Um, you know, and we know that. And uh, I've, I've seen people, not that I've coached, but I've had people that come to me that go down that route where they skip refeeds. Well, then I can just skip this meal. And that starts going that route. And then they, and it, yeah, and, and it sort of just feeds into that cycle. And I find that people that are afraid of refeeds are also, um, they have those eating disorder tendencies, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, that um, makes sense. And so, you know, that's another thing you, you kind of got to be careful about. Um, if you coach long enough, and I've had a few of these cases, if you coach long enough, you'll probably encounter people that start off in bodybuilding with, um, you know, those tendencies. And then you see those tendencies develop into a full-blown eating disorder. Yeah, sure. And, um, and you know, the, the longer I've coached, the longer, the more I've seen the red flags to really watch out for. And honestly, that's one of them. If they fear having any extra food on their contest prep, even if it's part of the plan, that starts to become concerning for me. And then I actually take some time to talk to them about why they're afraid of it. Yeah, no, that makes sense, absolutely. I think the, the, the other thing, you know, pertaining to refeeds and what I've, I've personally experienced is that, you know, when you do have the refeed, if you are a low-stress individual, you you tend just to be really super active. Like, I, 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 I can just tell, like, when someone's reacting to a refeed well, when you i've had some like females that you'll overfeed and then the next day they'll drop <laughs> it's mad but you know it's just because one they've been fairly low stress on that day and they've enjoyed the hell out of it and they've potentially just calmed down and number two they've probably been like running riot doing loads of activities that they wouldn't normally do when i was i was contest prepping something that i had i had dealt with myself was definitely the the day of the refeed i'd inherently be way more active so i'd i'd be able to like when i i remember walking around supermarkets when i was prepping and i'd definitely take the shortest route possible to grab all my groceries get out back to the car but when i was on a refeed i'd almost definitely be all over the shop like looking at different things, buying different things. I probably burnt an extra 250, 500 calories in the shop alone, let alone anywhere else. So I think that a lot of people, <clears throat> when they refeed, if they're low stress, they will probably just have a really good response to it um, and have a great training session. Um, when do you find personally that the, the, the refeeds benefit you? Do you? Would you say it's the day of and in in regards to that do you situate refeeds on potentially like harder training sessions or um a day where you've got hit cardio etc and, and yeah why would you do that also man that's another great question i don't think i've ever been asked uh i this is another situation where i ask my clients to assess themselves i know for myself personally i feel 
I, I like to take my refeeds on an off day. Oh, wow. And okay. yeah, I like to take them on an off day um, because I find when I have that food coming in, it allows me to relax completely. Yep. Like, uh, I don't feel active. I feel sluggish when I take in a lot of extra food. It makes, makes me sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the next day I will feel with an off day and her refeed the next day, I'm going to feel like gold. Like yeah. I feel, I'll feel like, you know, just I'm on top of the world. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, the, the combination of the two really works well for me, but I find some other people like yourself, they, they have the food coming in. It perks them up. They feel ready to roll. And so I ask my clients to assess what they feel and then schedule their refeed appropriately. Um, you know, I, I like them to maybe schedule it, on, schedule it on a weaker body part day if they feel more energetic. Or like I usually have my off day with my refeed and then I'll train my weaker body parts the following day. And so, um, you know, I, you know, the, if you look at it, the... Uh, if you take an off day and you have a refeed, those carbohydrates are largely going to be stored anyway as glycogen, and it'll it'll glycogen's rather static. Um, you know, some of it will be used, um, you know, as, as the day goes on, but uh, when it when when it gets stored in a muscle in the muscle tissue, a lot of it will stay in the muscle tissue until it's used. So the next day, you know, you'll be fully stocked and ready to roll. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I think. I think that's something that I hadn't probably taken into perspective is having it on an off day. Um, and one of the other questions that I had about refeeds, a lot about refeeds, um, is <laughs> after the refeed itself, have you had any clients comment of massively increased hunger as a result of post the post-refeed feels of, you know, I've had a high day, the next day after, I'm like super super hungry um and the the lower macros seem somewhat difficult to follow um and therefore have you had any like clients really struggle after a refeed um and the day after it, it's it's very interesting some people really struggle the day of with just massive cravings as it's coming right. in right. and and some people the day after and then other people tell me that the day of and the day after they're completely stuffed um, I had a conversation with somebody online about this. I can't remember. We were talking about some of the various ideas. Uh, from a, from a, it can be really hard to nail down what causes hunger in different people, um, because the issues of hunger and cravings are so physiologically and psychologically tied together. Um, you know, some, some of it can be dictated by the actions of insulin. Um, some of it can be dictated by, um, the increases that, you know, you, like you, like you mentioned with a refeed, you see acute increases in hormones, mm-hmm. like fat burning, fat burning hormones. Yeah. And then, and then some of it could be blood sugar mediated. Okay. Uh, and then some of it could just be psychological. Um, I think we've all seen that, you know, you, you got a taste for something you really like and it's just, it makes you crave it a little more. Um, so, so it can be really hard to say what is causing that, that increase, you know what I mean? That hunger. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is just being aware of what your tendencies are and being prepared to handle it and deal with it. Um, you know, if you, if you know, you're going to be 
hungrier the day after a refeed, then you may want to plan to have extra vegetables. Mm, um, nice. and, you know, extra vegetables uh, than what you normally have. And there, there's even a, um, there's even some research to show that bland food uh, will control your hunger better to a greater degree. So, you know, you may want to experiment with on your refeed day, taking in fewer sugars, okay. you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so if you have, if you have more, you know, more bland food, more complex carbohydrates as opposed to sugar, I think you'll find that the next day your hunger won't be quite so bad. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's also something to be said for, uh, artificial sweetener intake okay. there's also some there's also uh, a lot of research that shows that constant artificial sweetener intake can make you hungrier um, and because one of the aspects of it is that generally the sweet flavor sends signals the gist of it is the science is that um, the sweet flavor to your brings uh, sends signals to your brain that calories are coming mm -hmm. uh, but when you take an artificial sweetener uh, you get the sweet flavor, but then the calories don't come. And so eventually the sweet flavor does not shut off that, that hunger. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so the, the, the brain sort of, uh, detaches itself from sweet flavor equaling calories are coming. Um, so, uh, while, while, yeah, well, I still think, uh, artificial sweeteners are a lifesaver at certain points, are, points yeah. in, in prep, like all things, um, moderation is probably best. Yeah, and I think that's really funny that you mention artificial artificial sweetness because in my first ever contest prep, I was I was you know I was I was guided under macros, which was brilliant. So I was you know allowed a variety of foods, and someone told me that drinking diet drinks would help, and I took that the highway and drunk a <laughs> insane amount of diet drinks to the point where. I, I it was not it was not good in, in in any term like I I I was spending far too much money on diet drinks and and you know my day was fueled by when could I have a next diet drink so uh, something I did differently in the next prep was I, I actually just I, I didn't I didn't ever get into the diet drinks and it, it helped me a lot because I found something with the the, the the diet drinks and the sweetness is that I did actually get quite bloated from them because I'd have quite a high quantity of them. I think that the fizziness of drinks as well when um, you're, you're quite lean can have an impact in just terms of how your stomach feels. Um, and obviously when you're like, you know, having quite quite a lot of them, it's just going to make a bigger impact. But um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I did do. I did just, I did just completely not have them. I didn't, I didn't have sweeteners. I didn't have the diet drinks. Um, and now I don't even, I don't even think I thought once about them. Like I just, I just went, I just went without, it just didn't come across my mind at all. I would say this past prep of my own is one where I did, uh, fewer, yeah, uh, fewer. you know, fewer artificial sweeteners. And there is a, a certain steadiness that comes with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of the way you feel, I find that people that are really dependent on artificial sweeteners, there's just a lot of ups and downs, you know, they're craving this, they're after that, they're feeling bloated, they're feeling depleted. 
I, I find there's a there's a certain steadiness that comes from using moderation of the artificial sweeteners. Yeah, no, that makes sense, definitely. Um, okay, so my final question protruding to contest prep adjustments would be when a client is making significant fat loss progress and you think that potentially things are going too fast um, and you may well hear this a lot like a lot of people have this idea in their head that there's a certain percentage of loss and if you lose any more than that your muscle tissue is going to completely fall off your physique and you may as well not compete um, but if something's going too quick, would you have the would you have the the idea that you need to slow things down? And have you ever slowed things down with a client at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I it's something I do quite a bit actually because, I, like I said, I like to push and he- push ahead and get ahead of pace. Yeah. Um. So, so I it's a position I find myself in frequently. Um. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's that's honestly the spot I want to be in with sure. with people. Yeah. Um. Because. You know, having to slow things down is a hell of a lot better than having to speed things up. Oh, and yeah. so, uh, so if if I want to slow it down for maybe just a week, um, I'll use a tactic of just a- adding an additional refeed day to that week. Okay. Uh, it's a nice treat for the person. Um, it'll usually lend to some better training uh, for that week. But if I feel like we're really ahead of the game and we maybe have a couple weeks to spare. I'll just add carbohydrates across the board for the entire week. So, you know, something like something like um, 20 grams of carbs per day. Uh, or, you know, if you want to play it a little conservatively, like I said, uh, protein has far, far less chance of being stored and converted to body fat. Uh, so, you know, if you want to even just – if it's somebody that maybe struggles with a little bit of uh, insulin resistance – uh, you can maybe add some protein to their plan. It'll help them feel fuller. You know, add an extra 10 to 15 grams per day for the for the whole week, and you can slow it down a little bit from there. But you know, generally, uh, I, I'll I find it easiest to just add another refeed, and I find that I find that people tend to find that the most uh, fun, <laughs> you know, because they get an extra refeed. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like just adding the additional refeed in there uh, because you know it, it tends to be um, they they enjoy it more. It leads to better training and you know just has them feeling good overall. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Cool, wicked. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much covered our section on contest prep adjustments. So that was really good. A lot of concise data there for people to take into account and 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 make really good adjustments when it comes to dieting. And obviously now everyone knows your, your secret of data collection <laughs> um so when it i have actually a question that's um i don't know what it's like in the in the u.s in terms of how your shows work across the year but in the uk we have the situation where pretty much all federations will have what's called as a qualifier show now these are regional shows that take place across the uk and then what they'll do is they'll take a select number of athletes from the qualifier and they will then qualify for the British finals of that federation. Now, a lot of issues surrounding competitors in the UK is what should we be doing in terms of the qualifier and thus the final? Because we know that maintaining contest conditioning is a really difficult task to maintain fullness, maintain... Um, the look that we want to achieve on stage. Um, 
what would be your advice to someone that's dealing with a let's say the qualifier is six weeks before the finals so we have a long gap a decent gap between that's standard gap um what would be your advice as to what they should do in between that qualifier and the finals um to really bring the best package to both gotcha i i would i do like to just always i'm a firm believer in always bringing the best package possible to the stage so even for the qualifier um for a couple different reasons one i don't think many people feel good standing on stage not at their best um yeah i i think for me as a coach i want to challenge myself and my client to bring the best package possible Uh um and they're gonna feel they're gonna have more fun knowing they brought the best package possible so I go, I, I usually, you know, we do have situations where, um, you know, sometimes there's a qualifier show, maybe for in the pro level, a lot of times we have, um, you know, a pro show to qualify for the world championships, okay. maybe six weeks later. Um, and in the non-tested divisions, um, cause I do have a few, um, you know, I have a few clients that aren't natural. It's not big base of what I do, but I do have a few clients that aren't natural that, have the uh, qualifier show before nationals. Yeah, um, yeah. And so uh, I, I like to get, and then also if you bring your best package to the qualifier show, I believe there's always something to be learned in that, uh, whether it be the prep process or the peak week process. You know, this is a chance to learn um, for a future show. So I like to bring that. And then uh, if you have six weeks, the, the person needs to be mentally dialed in to stay on point for six weeks. And I'm gonna say the very first thing you need to do is not lose control in the post-show celebration. Um, The best way I can put it, because I've seen people get worse from show to show rather than better from show to show solely because of post-show celebrations. Uh, So if you think of it like this, um, the end of a contest prep is the time when muscle loss is most likely to happen. So um, let's say somebody gets as good as they can possibly be or just about as good as they can possibly be for their show and maybe the night of the show or, and the day after they gain six pounds. Okay. Water weight drops off. There's three pounds of fat left or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, they lost control and they think, oh, I have six weeks to lose three pounds. Not a problem at all. Well, it is a problem because you've got three pounds of fat none of which is probably muscle because muscle takes a long time to add on. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't add muscle in a day. Um, so, but the problem is you're now having to relose three pounds that you've already lost before and you're going to lose more muscle losing it again. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, and so now by the time you get back down to the same weight, you probably don't look as good as you did before because you've lost more muscle tissue losing that three pounds yeah. that you already did in the first place. Yeah. So, uh, control in the post exercise er, in the post show phase is super important. Um, you can absolutely ruin yourself for the next show within the first 24 hours. Yeah. Um, so then, what you need to do it doesn't mean you can't enjoy a meal, but it needs to be moderate. And then, in the first one or two weeks, you can really bump food up a little bit. Uh, you know, 35 carbs here, you know, 40 carbs there, maybe 10 grams of protein, reduction of cardio. Use this as the time to sort of recharge your batteries. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and if you feel you need a deload, you know, maybe an extra day off from the gym or a 
two or three lighter days in the gym, this is the time to do it. And then, uh, you know, see how much you gain after a week. If you gain, um, if you don't gain, then great. You can maybe add some more, see how much you gain after a week or two. And then, you know, maybe if you need to dial it back in for the final three, four weeks before peak week comes around again. So, um, you know, it's a pretty simple process, but I always just tell people the problem is people think, Oh, I have six weeks. I have so much time to take a break. Uh, subtlety is always going to win over drastic measures. Yeah. That's, um, what you said there about the three pounds is very, very relatable. Um, because I was literally the same weight at my qualifier and the finals, but the final look was completely different in my eyes and to the judges eyes as well they actually thought my physique looked drastically different but i was the exact same weight and i put in the exact same amount of effort it's just that calculated loss from gaining at the after the first show and then coming back down and i've seen it with so many so many competitors is they'll look bang on the money at the first show and then something just does not look right at the, at the at the at the second one um so frequent. It, it's super common and, and assuming the weight is the same and i do see it all the time you know you'll see people that do three four or five shows in a season and the ones that can keep it under control for the post-show period yeah. they look they tend to look better and better and better because they're probably bringing food up and looking yeah, fuller yeah and then but if you see others where they have this subtle deterioration in their look um, there's a certain softness about them, a little yeah. flatness to them. Yeah. Um, it's because they're thinking, oh, I've got six weeks until my next show. I'll enjoy a meal tonight with my friends and family. Well, you know, even if you only gain a couple pounds each time, you have to relose that same weight. You're losing muscle tissue, bringing it off. So, um, you know, that, that diligence in the post-show period is so important. Huge. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I think that's really good. I think that a lot of people will, will take home some lessons from that in terms of bringing your best to both um both shows that's really really important um cool awesome okay so the final thing that i want to touch on and you know listeners will be aware that i've taken a lot of your time so what i'd really like to ask here and i'd like to be careful on it because i know that you've gone over peaking a lot in fact i think there's a, like an hour podcast on just peaking with you in it so i'm sure that if the listeners very very interested in what cliff has to say on peaking there is already some incredible resources out there and i believe i will quote team box did a good podcast very recently with your thoughts on peaking um so i will i will happily send people to that as well but what i would like to do is i'd like to ask you the question as to first off with a younger athlete so with you know um let's say he's competing or she's competing as a junior let's say below the age of 23 um what common process would you use for peaking a younger athlete and does it change drastically from an adult competitor and why uh yeah i'll say this um I'll say even especially teenage competitors, okay. uh, they tend to just not be able to get as lean as older competitors. Of course, okay. Um, and so I find that um, it will force me to be a little bit less aggressive with their carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, older competitors just get a thinner skin look. And, and overall, the thinner 
skin you can get. The lean. When I say thin skin, it means absence of body fat. I'm yeah. not talking about eating tilapia. Tilapia to get thin skin. But um, you know, somebody who is 35 years old and has been training for 20 years will just get leaner and denser looking than somebody that is 20 years old and has only been training for three years. Yeah, um, it's just, a, yeah. And so, um, I, I, uh, I don't know the exact mechanistic actions of it. I suspect that there's just more subcutaneous pockets for glucose to float around in. But, um, the, the leaner that somebody is, the more aggressively you can carve them up. So I'll probably take a more moderate approach with a carve up with somebody that's younger and less experienced. Mm. But overall, a lot of the principles are really the same in terms of, um, you know, keeping, uh, bringing carbohydrates up in some fashion, um, yep. keep, keeping water intake in and keeping uh, sodium in and maybe even bringing sodium up coming into the show. Makes sense. Makes very clear. Um, and I think, yeah, I can, I can agree. I think, I think some of the issues with younger competitors is they do think that they're going to recreate conditioning and looks like the best pros that they've seen in the magazines or the Facebook and Instagram. Like you, you aren't going to get that level of musculature with that condition um, without dense layers of tissue there. Um, it just doesn't have that look. And if you try to achieve that look, you're most likely just be extremely flat and be pushing way too hard for conditioning that just won't be there yet. And I think that I'll personally ha I'll happily admit that I did that. Um, I thought that you know the harder I pushed, the the more my glutes would look striated, and it's just they didn't have enough glute muscle mass there to have striated glutes like yourself or Nunes or anything like that. So um, it's important for people to know, I guess. No, that that's that's a great point because okay, I'm in, I'm I'm 32 now. I did my show, and I still like. Sometimes I'll even have some of my younger competitors that are in their teens or twenties and say, "I want to get as lean as you did for your last show." Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, no offense, but it's probably not possible at this point in your career. <laughs> yeah. You haven't you haven't built enough muscle. You haven't built enough muscle maturity. Um, you, no matter how hard I pushed when I was 25, I couldn't have gotten to the condition that I did now. No. It it just takes it takes time. It just really does. And you need to realize that." Just because you can't achieve it when you're 20, it doesn't mean you won't be able to achieve it when you're 30. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, uh, and so you know, it just takes time to put in that effort, like you said, building that tissue. Uh, uh, you know, fat loss, fat loss can come quickly, but muscle tissue, man, that takes time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, the proof is in the pudding. The best pros on the circuit are not young. Although <laughs> you do get some freaks actually that, that are young and like incredibly gifted that just turn up out of nowhere and don't defy the laws. <laughs> yeah, but that's that, that's so not common. And then I guess a, a, a big piece of advice I'd give to younger competitors is that there's um, a tendency towards um, drastic peak week measures. Okay. Um, every younger competitor thinks they're going to be the one to take in massive amounts of carbs compared to everyone else when you know that's not usually the case yeah. and then uh and then also they tend to really and this isn't younger competitors but i'll just say newer competitors in general always think they're going to out peak uh their poor prep if you don't look really good going into peak week you're not going to look really good coming out of peak week it's it's as simple as that <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that's that's super true. I think I think that's something that slowly more and more people are understanding that peak week is not some sort of magical process. I think when I started bodybuilding, I was like, I was very much, very much in the mind that the peaking would be some sort of magical scenario where everything, all the stars would fall in line and your physique would suddenly become incredible. But it is really nice, like the the icing on the cake type scenario, I guess. Um, yeah. If, if you if you're a younger competitor uh, doing your first show, just uh, you know, take yourself a piece of paper, write on it, "I am not holding water. I'm holding fat." Just put it up on your fridge, all right? So that every day you have to remind yourself that you're not just holding water. You're just you just gotta lose some fat. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is another true comment that so many people say. Like, I I'm like I'm I'm like six weeks out, but I don't worry. Like I've it's mostly water now <laughs> it's, like, it's not it's not like your yeah. pictures don't your pictures aren't you know your your quadrations aren't covered in water um you know, it's like but yeah that is a really true comment i think more people should understand that you know when when you think that you've you've potentially got more to lose and you think that it's water it's not it's just fat yeah <laughs> awesome cool um so yeah, I think that's that's pretty much come to the end of my questions in terms of what we wanted to cover today. I think it's been uh, extremely um, informative and in depth, and I uh, thank you again for so much of your time, Cliff. I really do appreciate it, and I'm sure that people will appreciate this podcast very much. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. It was my pleasure. No worries at all. So before we go, I'd basically like you to just give the listener just before. Um, they go into a contest prep. What would you say is the number one thing that you would like them to take away from this podcast? Uh, the, the biggest thing is patience. And patience in the micro sense and the macro sense. Mm. It, it, it can't be uh, overstated. Um, patience, when I say micro, give yourself enough time to do this show. You know, it's, it's, you don't need to get there in 15 weeks. Um, you know, trying to rush the process is only going to lead to failure. And then patience in the macro sense. Uh, rarely do people look how they want to look within the first, oh, geez, decade that they compete. And I, that may seem that may seem like a long time, but, you know, within the first 10 years of competing, I think most people would look at their physique and just see so many things they want to improve about, about it. Um, but you know, if you're willing to put in a decade or more of true, consistent effort, um, natural or not, genetically gifted or not, I think you'll be surprised at just what you can accomplish and what you can build with such dedicated, patient effort. Yeah, that's yeah, brilliant comment. I think more people do need to apply patience to the process, especially when it comes to building those initial foundations to get ready for a contest prep phase and um once you've once you've got those foundations it will almost set you up for success way more than rushing into a process just because you like the sound of it um and obviously that's something we really covered at the start in terms of preparing for the, the contest prep phase itself so superb superb comment and um i'm sure people again will just take home so many things from this podcast um and likewise um i will include all of cliff's uh links to his 
social medias etc so if for some weird chance you aren't following him already then uh, you absolutely need to follow him so I'll, I'll link everything below um, but Cliff unless you've got anything else to add we will leave it there and, and thanks again for your time awesome I appreciate it thanks cool. awesome guys yeah so thanks again for listening um, to this episode 23 um, give make sure you give it a like if you've learned something up from this podcast and if you if you think there's anyone that will benefit from this like you've listened to it the whole way through and you think your buddy will love it share it away give it a share on facebook um or, or link your friend that would be highly appreciated and uh, yeah give it a like comment with any questions that you might have for either me or cliff and i'm sure that we'll try and get back to them in the comments below as well on youtube um but yeah thanks again and, and see you in episode 24 Cool. Thanks, Cliff. <laughs>